We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad. On the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of Hangar 18 on July 1st, 1980. It was written by Ken Pettis, credited as Stephen Conway, always a good sign, based on a story by <laughs> Thomas C. Chapman and James L. Conway, directed by James L. Conway, and released by Sun Classic Pictures. Sun Classic Pictures was founded in 1971 with the intention of producing and distributing family entertainment. Bizarrely, it started as a subsidiary of the Schick Razor Company and was sometimes referred to, as it is in the credits here, as the Schick Sun Classics. So <laughs> it's not the Shine Hard Wig Company? No, exactly. It feels like that to me. Their earlier successes include 1974's The Life and Times of Grizzly Adams and the subsequent TV series. In 1975, they successfully distributed Alan Lanesburg's documentary, The Outer Space Connection, forming a partnership that led to documentaries In Search of Noah's Ark and In Search of Historic Jesus, and later Lanesburg himself spun off the franchise into the In Search of series, originally hosted by Leonard Nimoy and later Mitch Pelegi, and now hosted by professional Leonard Nimoy impersonator Zachary Quinto. <laughs> I, I like that. I like the transition from Nimoy to Mitch Pelegi. <laughs> I think it's because you had Star Trek and then X-Files. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then uh, beyond documentaries, Sun is also known for Cujo, The Boogans, and Private Lessons. Sun ceased operations in 1987 after a few changes of ownership and corporate restructuring. But as of 2000, they're an independent company again, but have no new releases. Their library is currently owned by a subsidiary of Paramount. And because of the popularity of Sun Classic's documentary offerings, Hangar 18 was advertised as though it were a documentary about alien conspiracies about to blow open major government secrets. Sorry, I just want to go back for a second. You said that they were a company again as of 2000, but don't have any new releases? Correct. 20 years ago? Yeah. Okay, got it. <laughs> it is crazy. Having been born in 1983, I'm mostly familiar with Hangar 18 as the song that I couldn't beat on Expert in Guitar Hero 2, because heavy metal band Megadeth wrote a song inspired by this film for their album Rust in Peace. It was inspired by this Apparently. film? Apparently. Anything was inspired by this film is kind of shocking. I think Capricorn 1 was retroactively inspired by this film. <laughs> uh, the film was shot at the Peyote and Webb Air Force bases in Texas. This might be our first film with an MST3K episode, although we did see some clips of I Was a Teenage Werewolf in the movie Corp. Hangar 18 was featured very early. This was the 19th episode of MST3K. It seems like a missed opportunity for Hangar 18 to be episode 19. But uh, <laughs> this was, uh, it was actually before what is considered the first season. It's back when they were still doing like a public access show, basically. Yeah. And keep sharing the tapes. Yeah. They, they got in trouble because they were, they tried to get underground. They went underground. Oh, yeah. Um, and because people were taping the show. And then sharing the the taped shows with people who who missed it, um, and obviously like you know they don't want you to do that. Right. Broadcasters don't want you to do that. They want you to tune in for the show. But they started putting things at the end, keep sharing the tapes or something yeah. along those lines, and they kind of I think they got in trouble for it. A cousin of mine definitely had every episode on tape. In spite of official denials, rumors have continued to surface about what the government has been concealing from the American public at a secret Air Force hangar. But now. With the help of a few brave eyewitnesses who have stepped forward to share their knowledge of the events, the story can be told. We open with credits in the NASA font. A NASA shuttle is delivering a satellite to orbit. Ten minutes before the launch of what they're calling the first satellite? No, yeah, it definitely wasn't the first it, it, satellite. It could not have been the first satellite, but the guy says, this is the first satellite for us to launch, so this is a really big deal. And it's like, what are you talking about? It's 1980. Yeah, definitely other satellites have been up. Yeah. How did President Tyler call the shuttle if there wasn't satellites? But the space shuttle itself was relatively new. 
Yeah. Uh, so Maybe I mean, it's the first shuttle delivered shuttle, satellite. Shuttle delivered. I don't know. But President Tyler phones the crew to speak with them and congratulate them on their work before they've even done it. Real smart, Tyler. Jinxed. Uh, yeah. Ground control sees some kind of red light warning. Steve mans the arm to lift the satellite out of the cargo bay, and Lou takes the wheel while Colonel Gates moves outside the shuttle to check on the communication module on the satellite that's throwing up the error. He confirms that there was a loose module, and he offers to wait outside while the launch is completed, which seems totally unnecessary. Yeah, absolutely. Once once it's left the cargo bay, there's nothing you could do about it, so just go back inside. But he says he's going to stay outside in case this thing goes haywire again. Lou notices something fluttering around on the radar, and the general at ground control says they should contact NORAD immediately. In the shuttle, Lou and Steve notice a straight-up UFO directly above them. Mm -hmm. But Uh, say nothing. Yeah, they don't say anything to ground control. They're just like, huh, that's weird. There's like a non-human-made ship floating around out there. But when the satellite launches, it launches directly at this ship, and they didn't say anything to anyone, like, uh, maybe we should abort the launch because there's a thing right in the way. When the satellite hits the UFO, it explodes, and communications are temporarily knocked out. Uh, not only that yeah but oh my god <laughs> yeah this was this was like at the beginning of saturn 3 when the guy like explodes on the yeah. bars and floats out i was like i was not expecting this so quickly in this movie but Stephen lou looking out the window noticed that gates has been decapitated and his body is floating away from the shuttle but his head is still in the helmet like right. it's like full-on Django fett yeah lou calls down to ground control and he says hey uh gates is dead and he's like, what do you mean? What? Ha- how do you know he said what happened? And they're like, uh, something with the explosion. It must have knocked his helmet off. And it's like, that's a nice way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. His head is definitely not connected to his body anymore. But debris from the satellite explosion must have hit him. It's like, yeah, that's exactly what happened, I guess. Because uh, at first you're, you're thinking, oh, there's aliens here that killed this guy and threw yeah. his body out. And it's like, no, it was literally just debris. Yeah, I was kind of waiting for there to be a bigger payoff on this story. Yeah. And I'm like, I guess they use it as a you know a story point moving forward that you know that it would be a news story that this guy died but i kind of expected there to be a little bit more behind this yeah never was so we moved to norad at 3 10 a.m they are tracking the ufo as it is crashing to earth air search units are scrambled to bannon arizona where the craft is descending sam tate in arizona is driving his car when he sees the craft touch down and he off-roads for a minute to get a look at it He's shocked by what he sees, and then he drives away to notify the proper authorities, which I guess in this case is the, the Bannon County Sheriff. Or A search plane finds it from NORAD. A general hesitates to relay any instruction because he does not know what the hell to do with this thing. Harry Forbes, the Darren McGavin character, father from uh, Christmas Story, is in ground control, and he is basically dispatched from that job to go investigate the crash site because he wants to keep it under wraps. The general says that the president has already been informed, and then he moves to inform the president, (laughs) uh, who he has not yet spoken with. Somehow, the next day, we still haven't talked to the president about, oh, by the way, last night, about 10 minutes after you called us, yeah, we found a UFO, Yeah, and we didn't think to call you back. We confirmed we're not alone in the universe. (laughs) We told a lot of people about it. Like, so many people know, and you don't know yet. But he speaks specifically with the chief of staff, who doesn't sound surprised at all about the news he's like hey so i wanted to tell you we have an alien aircraft in our possession he says okay well we probably shouldn't talk about this on this line why don't you come meet me in person instead of like what you have what (laughs) you have a what like bill pullman in independence day did you say that again yeah he wants to do the elaboration in person because the president is in the middle of a re-election campaign and as you know, no president has ever been reelected the same year as first contact with an alien race has been made. <laughs> because that wouldn't look great if you were the president that made first contact with yeah, an alien you race. You definitely don't want that on your resume, shaking yeah. hands with the alien president. Although this is pre-Mars attacks. Yeah. When the astronauts land, they want to speak with the Gates family, but are told that the Air Force is handling it. <laughs> and they handle it all right. Uh-huh. Sam leads the Bannon authorities to where he saw this spaceship land but it's already been cleaned up i mean not really but for some reason he can't find what uh what he saw the night before 
Back in Houston, Mission Control refuses to share the telemetry reports with the astronauts, and they just assure them that everything's going to be fine, so please stop asking questions. The chief of staff for the president is weirdly worried that the press is going to get a hold of this information because the election is two weeks away and it's still too close to call. And for some reason, he thinks that discovering alien life would throw it to the other guy. <laughs> I don't. I really don't understand the logic of like the whole the whole plot of this movie is based on the fact that the chief of staff of the president doesn't want news to get out that we've discovered an alien ship. Well, I'm imagining that this might be more of a conservative president and maybe a a, a friend of the religious right. And it's like, we can't We're going to lose all of the churchgoers. We can't say that aliens exist. Yeah. I mean, I think it's more about s- stability because he's he's slightly in the lead here. And we don't know what the outcome is going to be if we suddenly have all this crazy news happening. But I feel like you do run the risk if you wait two weeks of losing out on the opportunity to be the president who discovered alien life because then the next president is like oh what did you find two weeks ago oh cool i'm gonna go shake hands with that thing uh i also have a problem with this scene because there are two main characters named frank yeah in the same room at the same time i was like okay (laughs) and they don't even make a joke out of it like frank no not you frank frank yeah exactly so it's like the only time as a writer do you put two named characters with the same name is if it's a joke. Yeah. I mean, that's if it's if, writing 101 that yeah. you try and spread your you can't even have two characters whose names sound alike. Yeah. You can't even have a Frank and a Fred in the same room in a yeah. movie. If Fire and Emblem the game can have 500 plus not samed named characters, yeah. then your movie with 20 people cannot have the same. I name. think that's the example we all go to is Fire Emblem. Um <laughs> I have no idea what that is. Uh, But the chief of staff says, what we don't need right now is a bunch of inconclusive speculation and wild rumors floating around Washington. Doesn't that mean you should be open and transparent to avoid false information leaking? And NASA is a public company. Yeah, you don't have to say the president found this UFO on his own. Just let them make the announcement. But uh, he mentions past politicians who said they believed in flying saucers and were lambasted for it and ended up losing elections. But this but isn't they, believing. Yeah, this they is didn't, confirmation. Yeah, they didn't have one in a hangar. It doesn't make any sense to pretend like this is the same as that. Those people were crazy if they said, oh, yeah, there's aliens all over the place. Yes, those people deserve to lose their elections. You don't know what they had in their hangars. That's true. We, we do, and, we do and, learn and there they, were aliens around. And now they've been vindicated. Yeah. Maybe now they're going to win. The general suggests bringing the astronauts in on the conspiracy, but the chief of staff says, you know, I want to keep this as tight as we can. I don't want too many people to know about this. For some reason, forgetting that the astronauts have already seen the spaceship, they were the first people to see it. We don't want too many people knowing about this. Put together a team of 40 scientists. Yes. (laughs) Of which these astronauts might have related expertise in those fields. Yeah. Especially in how to operate or fly a spacecraft. Yeah. He asks for two weeks of silence on the matter just until we're past the election, and then we can just paste it all over the place. In Houston again, uh, Steve is awoken by a phone call from a woman from a PR office. Um, For no reason, the agents have decided to blame the death of Gates on the surviving astronauts. There's literally no reason to do this other than to set them on the course of proving their innocence and revealing the information to the world. This plot point made no sense. No, it does, though. Why blame them for Why it? Why blame the astronauts? Because they they want to be able to discredit them and saying like, well, no, no, we saw a UFO up there. And so they're like, oh, they're just trying to cover up the fact that they screwed up. So they're going to blame aliens. Them. They should have just killed these guys. If they're so worried about them saying anything and they're letting other bunch of random, like just two doctors they don't who wanna, we don't know. They don't want to kill them because they don't want to, they don't, they're actually not trying to be like malicious in any way. They're just trying to like. Blame a murder on them. No, they're trying to dis- dissuade anybody from talking about it for two weeks. But this ruins their. This will ruin their career. Yeah, it, wouldn't it have been just as easy to say he died by accident, or to blame it on two people who didn't actually see the spaceship and couldn't turn around and sell that information? Well, the two people that saw the spaceship, though, they want to be able to say they're just trying to cover up for themselves. Right, but that's why they should have just been brought in on it in the first place. Blame it on two people who don't have any control over this situation or who didn't see the UFO. Like, just pick two two random NASA engineers 
who don't know that it was a spaceship yet and blame the murder on them. They made yeah, some but mistake they were looking, in their coding. They were looking for leverage against the astronauts. Yeah. So that's what they chose. But they, they never pull that lever if that's what they're doing. Well, that's because the astronauts realize they're like, if we say anything, they're just going to be like, oh, they're trying to cover it up. Yeah. But Lou takes it very weirdly in stride, considering they could go to prison for killing this guy. He, if For some reason, he's certain that they have proof. He's like, oh, well, it doesn't matter because we got proof. And it's like, you don't have anything. You've, you're not at work. And you go to work and they're obviously going to have erased it. But they head to Mission Control to check out the radar telemetry and the craft has been erased from all the records. Which, if they're Craft. this easily... You mean the Pong game? Yeah. <laughs> this ship weirdly bounces directly off the edges of the radar that you have. Like, what are the odds that it would hit right <laughs> at the edge of the screen that you happen yeah. to have set up? But the other thing that's crazy to me is that they're like, oh, well, this was going to be our, like, super obvious proof that there was a spaceship there. And it's like, is that super great proof? Because it, apparently it's very easy to edit. You just yeah. go in and delete a character in the assy text of this animation. Yeah, see, and... And that's so funny because they all obviously have other comped in view screens that they use. Right. Not, not just on the alien spacecraft, but actually in like up on the view yeah, screen. Yeah, there's literally a camera of you should have seen this UFO in the shot. Yeah. And and so it's it seems so weird that the computer that they're trying to look at this data is so dated. Yeah. When when they were obviously willing to animate other telemetry up on these screens of yeah. like the orbital status and things like that. Just Make this look a little bit better. Yeah. But while they're watching this footage, the first thing that Steve suggests is, well, maybe we did imagine it. <laughs> it's like, what is wrong with you, Steve? Just go home. You don't make any sense. They try to check with Harry Forbes because they're upset about the telemetry being edited, but it turns out he's been reassigned. He arrives at Hangar 18, and he gets to see this ship in its uh, unnatural habitat in this Hangar 18. Someone asks if there's any exterior damage, and Forbes says, no, we think it was a controlled landing. But I would also be curious if there was damage from when the satellite hit it and exploded. But the implication here is that, no, it didn't It didn't get damaged because it landed uh, in a controlled way. It didn't crash land, but it's like, yeah, but we also fired a satellite into the side of it and killed everyone on board. Well, we don't know that yet. Yeah, and... And that's the other thing, too, is is this spacecraft, I'm assuming, is more advanced, especially since it can move really quickly and then come to an immediate stop yeah. in, in, in a similar orbit as another ship. It, so it could probably also see that there's another thing coming out of it with an engine. They should have been able to avoid this fate. Yeah, maybe we should just move the ship just a little bit further to the right. Yeah. I mean, I think here they're just trying to establish that this thing is made out of something that can withstand a substantial amount of damage. Yeah, and I'm assuming they mean that it literally, like, the satellite hitting it did nothing to it. But then what exploded? Because the satellite doesn't have fuel in it. Well, it did, because it had a rocket engine. Was it going that far? Um, well, it, I thought it was already in orbit. They were literally it depends just, on what kind of satellite it was. Yeah, was yeah, it a nurse satellite, or was it a satellite that they were sending off to some other planet? Oh, okay, that's true. I didn't think about that. Forbes says that they also have a linguist and two medical doctors inbound. Steve and Lou remember another station called Crown Mountain that might have the telemetry recorded there also, because sometimes they record NASA missions. Paul, one of the doctors, joins Forbes and another agent, Phil, as they move inside the ship in Hangar 18. As they approach the entrance, the magnetometer, magnetometer? Magnetometer. Magnetometer. The magnetometer readings are rising. Steam is dissipating from the ship as a door unfurls in front of them. Now, what does that mean exactly? To uh, me, that it's means getting more magnetic. Yeah, that's what it means to <laughs> me. It means it's getting more magnetic, but there seems to be absolutely no signs of such things happening. Yeah. I, I still can't tell if you were being sarcastic about the pronunciation or not. The way you were smirking. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? We'll never know. <laughs> Inside the ship, they find what they think is an engine room. Uh, walking further. A closet suddenly bursts open, and what appears to be a pressure suit tips out at them, scaring the hell out of them. Mm. But it literally just pushed itself out of this closet on yeah. its own. Nobody touched it. This this whole thing is like a haunted alien house. Also, uh, it's like a TARDIS. Yeah. Because it's like, is it is it really that big There's on the so outside? There's so much walking to do on the inside. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. there's, a, there's a second story to this thing yeah they find an elevator to a higher deck but you're right from outside the ship if there is a second deck it's like you'd have to crouch to fit one person in yeah it. 
but uh yeah so they they climb into this elevator which is actually just a triangle on the floor between three pillars but they all get on it yeah and <laughs> they like, maybe go one at a time yeah guys. <laughs> but they realize there's like a pressure sensitive button that they can step on to raise the elevator so they all ride it up and then they, they're basically in the in like the the control room of this ship the bridge i guess and they find two dead aliens in the cockpit but the chairs inexplicably spin around <laughs> to show the alien corpses to the people who just showed up i'm not sure why that would happen mm-hmm. back at the crown mountain station steve and lou are surveying the telemetry recordings which are back to normal we see the ship floating around like a weirdo and the guy there says yeah well i'm glad you like this and all but you can't have a copy of it so i'm not even sure why i let you guys look at this because i could get fired even for having you here and they say well could you at least look at these telemetry readings and tell us where you think the ship landed and he said yeah sure i'll pull it up on the computer but we've already covered that this was a controlled landing so you wouldn't be able to tell from these telemetry readings where the ship landed because it was being piloted once it once it entered the Earth's but atmosphere. Was it? Yeah. See, because I, I don't think it is. I think it was. Just, I think it was some kind of autopilot. But but Forbes says that it landed itself. Like it didn't. It didn't just follow a trajectory and crash into the planet. It actually chose a place to land. Yeah, but I think that we were that that what we established is that these guys were dead by the time that happened. Right, but they they have a t- you know they have a Tesla. And they told it where they wanted to go on the Auto planet. park. <laughs> yeah. Just before it hit a pedestrian. <laughs> yeah. Look, they're new, okay? These UFOs are going to get better. Eventually, we won't even need the cockpits. Um, <laughs> it doesn't even need a driver. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need the cockpit. We don't need those little drawers that we happen to pull out that yeah. suddenly make it rise in the air. <laughs> um, at, at a bar in Bannon, Arizona, everyone's making fun of Sam for his UFO sighting. And uh, outside, we see a pair of MIB agents are uh, basically hired to follow Sam around town. The chief of staff is informed that Lou and Steve are headed to Bannon now because that's where the computer told them that the ship landed. And he recommends getting Sam, the guy who saw it land, a job somewhere in Washington, D.C. to shut him up because he's like a contractor. Uh, and he's like, we got to have some government work out there. Just give him a job and he'll shut up and... And uh, he's basically done with this movie now. <laughs> we'll never see that character again. Yeah, he's, It seemed like he was going to play a big part or he was going to have some sit down with the astronauts. Well, there's there's even an even more important character that yeah. we have one shot yep. of and then is never seen never, again. Never comes back. But yeah, the uh, medical team rushes these two dead aliens out of the ship and into some observation rooms where they're going to, I guess, perform autopsies on things that they don't know how to tell if they're dead or not. <laughs> Forbes finds a human woman in a chamber on the ship Apparently, she's still alive, like she has a pulse or something, mm-hmm. but the doctors here specialize in alien anatomy and can't do anything <laughs> for humans. Uh, so the girl that they find in the ship also plays no part in the rest of the film. They just put her in an ambulance and drive her to a hospital. We never hear from well, her again. Even, even though while in the ambulance, she wakes up screaming. Yeah. And I'm like, oh man, is this movie going to go life force on yeah, us? Yeah, that's what I thought. Like, she's, she's, she's going to be some she's alien a vampire. crazy thing. But well, she, I, didn't, I wasn't even sure if she was human or not. Like, I thought they just made a lot of presumptions, considering the guys in the chair look pretty much just like weirdos with funny eyes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you would not... You would This woman's body would not leave this base. Yeah, unless she was wearing clothes that were clearly manufactured on the planet, you wouldn't be trying to identify her and not trying to identify the two pilots. So they, they put her in an ambulance as she leaves, and it plays no part in the film that they sent her to just a, a hospital down the road instead of taking care of it in secret like they would have. We don't find out anything about her. Like, nope. Nothing. There, there's no backstory to understanding. Like, was she abducted? Was she? We don't know if she's an lab? alien or like, a human or what. We don't know what's happening. Yeah, it's totally pointless. Forbes is very concerned with whether or not the aliens were dead when they landed, but it's never made clear why he cares so much. Yeah. At first, I was like, "Are you worried that you're going to get charged for murder because you <laughs> killed these two aliens?" I, I guess. I guess there might be some kind of intergalactic misunderstanding. Right. <laughs> But but he seems so like hell bent on getting an exact answer of like did we kill these things? You got to tell me if we killed these things. When did they die? Tell well, me the minute they died, please. Those aliens were dead when we found them. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I I guess I guess though also to me like it would be like a press thing like it's like were the aliens alive? It's like no, they died. How did they die? We shot a satellite at them. <laughs> we hit them with technology. 
Um, <laughs> Steve and Lou killed him. Yeah. <laughs> Just blame everything on them. <laughs> I thought he was worried they'd be held responsible, but later when it turns out they died as a result of the collision with the satellite, he just doesn't give a shit. He's just yeah. like, oh, interesting. But it, it wasn't just being hit by the satellite, though. Well, it knocked over a vial that I, It just him. seems an unnecessary, like, additional thing. I mean, I guess because the ship is so sturdy and strong, we have to have something have happened to the yeah. inside because it, this tiny satellite exploded outside of it. It comes across as just, like, a bad procedural, like, crime story where it's just like this person's used to writing tv where you need to leave a clue and the clue leads to information and it's like Mm. no it's it's not interesting and it plays no part in the greater story but uh a scientist notices a room full of shelves with symbols on them another alleged scientist pulls a random lever and starts the ship hovering in the hangar before closing it these are the least scientific scientists i have ever seen what's what's this do yeah. They're just randomly poking and prodding this ship to try to figure yeah. out how it works. Yeah, like, Dar- no, no methodology here. Yeah, yeah. Darren McGavin pushes a button, fires some lasers <laughs> through the building. Yeah, he uh, and and here we have uh, Darren is the one chastising him for his recklessness, and the scientist says, "How am I supposed to learn anything if I don't yank on random levers <laughs> in this potential bomb of a spaceship?" Yeah, he literally says, "I don't know. I just pulled a panel over there, and everything went haywire." Well, watch what you're doing. If we're going to find out anything here, we can't keep our hands in our pockets. We've got to do something. Well, be careful. The chief of staff is worried about how many people are learning about this spaceship and refuses to order any murders for some reason. Forbes says out loud, Phil's right. we got to figure out what makes this thing tick to nobody apparently endorsing the alleged scientist's plan of just pushing buttons like he's Buddy the Elf in an elevator. And uh, he inadvertently charges up this defensive laser blast and fires it through the hangar. It goes like right in between a bunch of scientists. Yeah. And totally destroys a bunch of equipment. You don't know. One of those buttons could be the self-destruct. Yeah. One of those could be like the auto return to mothership button. I mean, yeah. You, you have to figure out. Yeah, you out. could fly to the navigator with this thing. It just closes up behind you and yeah. you're screwed. You're just going to suffocate in here. But yeah, Lou and Steve land a, a single engine plane in Bannon, Arizona. And they rent a truck from the guy who owns the airfield. He tells them about Sam's crazy story. And I was like, all right, they're going to go find Sam and get some information. And then he says, you should talk to the sheriff if you want that information. And they're like, okay, let's go talk to the sheriff. Who cares about the sheriff? Forbes finds a button on the spaceship that turns on the screen in the ship's screening room. I, I like I like the startup splash screen though of the with the dots. Yeah, I was like, to, yeah. like I was like, oh, that's kind of neat. I like yeah. it. But he notices that the aliens have apparently been monitoring all of Earth's broadcasts. At the end of it, it ends with this logo, and they're like, wait, I've seen that logo before. And then they go to the wall outside, and they see that logo on the wall, and he says, this logo means Earth. And it's like, how do you know that? And he's like, well, because it, there was footage of Earth, and then the logo, and then there's the logo on the wall, and it's like. Right, but that could just mean what specifically was in the footage, or the, that that sign that could mean like landing spots. Like you have no idea what it means. Yeah, there's also like 500 logos on this wall, including right. like Black Widow's logos up here. Yeah, there's <laughs> a, like, there's a bunch of crazy logos. It's like, is this Black Widow's ship? I don't know. Well, here's what drove me crazy: is that these guys are willing to just fire lasers and auto take off and like pull all these random levers where they don't know what they do. The one thing they know how it works is they can push a button anywhere on this wall and get broadcasts from all these thousands of different planets potentially. Mm-hmm. And they don't push a single button. They don't want to see what the news is like on some other on planet. Yeah. Like you don't want to check and see what any of these other planets leads to. They're obviously going to be populated with intelligent life or they wouldn't be monitored in the first place, but they don't push any of these other buttons and it drove me crazy. Lou. This whole ship's a bunch of buttons. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. This whole ship's a bunch of buttons. Lou and Steve meet with the sheriff, and he says, oh, yeah, Sam's crazy. Can I get your autographs? And they're like, okay. And then they sign autographs for him. I, I, um, I love to have autographs of disgraced astronauts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is good. I've, my favorite astronaut murderers. My wife is never going to believe this. Um, in 20 years i'm gonna get that astronaut who tried to drive across the country to murder her boyfriend in yeah. a diaper. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be great but the one bit of information they do get is where sam took him to show him the crash site and so they head out there and they find this giant burnt shape in the ground like uh, the size of the spaceship just covered in like branches pl- yeah it's like just how hard would it have been to dump sand over this mm-hmm. but they didn't do that yeah you, you rewatch like 
Fight the Future, the X-Files movie, where they build an entire playground, although that would have been funny, too. In the middle of the <laughs> desert, it's just a playground. <laughs> Why is this here? Doesn't matter. There's a seven, they built a 7-Eleven on top of it or something. <laughs> Men in Black are watching from the distance as they pick through this landing site. Uh, Lou picks up this melted rock from the ground. And as they start to head back to their car, they're interrupted by the Men in Black. And they say, hey, where are you going? And he's like, oh, we're just leaving. I was just checking something out. And we found this cool rock. And my son collects rocks. And they're like, yeah, you're going to have to give us that rock. And he's like, oh, okay. And then they beat up the Men in Black and get in their car and drive away. The Men in Black keep up with them pretty well. The two cars are swapping paint for a bit, and uh, eventually the men in black flip their car off a bridge, and it explodes, and they fucking die. <laughs> yeah. Like, they killed these two guys that they were just in a car chase with. But I do like Lou's response of this. Like, you know, that would have been us. Yeah. Like, because Steve seems upset, and it's like, dude, they were going to kill us. But we don't know that yet. Uh, we just know they were trying to apprehend you. They could have been just trying to do a were, pit maneuver to well, arrest you peaceably, and you <laughs> murdered both of them. So now you are murderers. Uh, I don't know. It seemed it seemed like you were defending your life. I don't know. I'd the, be okay with it. The chief of staff seems very reluctant to kill anyone on purpose. I think Robert Vaughn is just like, yeah. Yeah, he uses that. <laughs> I'll, I'll just be in this movie for a day. Yeah. An expert tells Forbes that the symbols on the ship match ancient Egyptian fonts and crop circles from the past. Well, they, they, I think they were uh, like... Aztec Indian. Oh, was it? Okay. Uh, because the, they, they mentioned Mexico. Oh, okay. But it could have been like Inca. Like or, Nazca lines or something. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought that they were going to go with. But they kept saying Mexico. Yeah. And I was like, well, no. Well, because Nazca's lines South were in America. South America. Yeah. But um, they mentioned a couple different. Uh, they mentioned the lines in Mexico. And then they mentioned the the Mexican pyramids. Yeah. Again. And he, he even specifies these are bigger than the ones in Giza. Yeah. And I was like. It's like, why are we spending so much time here? Is that why the ship is vaguely pyramid-shaped? I'm only assuming yeah. that that's why why it's in that kind of stepped pyramid yeah. shape rather than like the triangular tetrahedron. But anyway, the astronauts the sur- that survived this car chase go to meet with a professor they know. I guess he's nearby. And they show him the melty rock. And he goes, yep, that is a melty rock. Good job. <laughs> it basically doesn't have any more information for them. I but I almost wonder because the men in black knew they were going there if they had gotten to the scientist first. Yeah. And just like just tell them it's a melty tell rock. Them it's it could a melty have been, rock. It could have been anything. Don't tell them that on the other side is a corporate logo that leads to all the information on our website because they had a website. The doctors that they hired tell Forbes that these two aliens did not die in a crash because there's no trauma. There's no signs of trauma but they're not sure what it was. Phil tells Forbes that the ship engine seems to collect hydrogen as it flies and uses a nuclear reactor to power itself. But then at the same time, he insists that this ship couldn't possibly be fast enough to be interstellar. It's like, you don't know that. You don't know how any of this works. (laughs) You just admitted you have no idea how the engine works and there's no air resistance in space, so you have no idea how fast this thing can go. But the conclusion that it can't possibly be interstellar means that it must have come from a mothership. And around the same time, the linguist in Hangar 18 cracks the code of an alien language in just under a day. Well, it seemed like a pretty simple cipher. Yeah, but that's that's also a problem, I would say. Um, well, they kind of Rosetta Stoned it with the, the symbols that had been already studied at the in the pyramids that they have on earth yeah they, they have on that we have on earth that are on earth <laughs> <laughs> that they have on earth. i'm not an alien <laughs> anyway guys gotta pull this lever and he just floats out of our house um uh the astronauts decide that since this leg of their search has been fruitless that they should try another path and they think well if the ship landed here then the government would move it somewhere near here, probably. And the biggest thing near here that could handle it is this lunar landing hangar that they're mm-hmm. aware of. It's like an experimental lunar landing hangar. And it's right here in Texas. And it's called Hangar 18. And they know exactly which building on which Air Force Base yeah, it would be. I, I, it's like it's like Hangar 18 is well-known, I guess, in NASA. I guess. Maybe you don't want to put it in the well-known nasa yeah don't put it in the first place they would check for it 
Forbes reads the scientist the full text of the alien documents. He's like, all right, he figured out their language, so he printed out their Wikipedia, and uh, <laughs> I read the whole thing already, and it turns out that these aliens created us, and God doesn't exist, and let's call the president. Everybody's freaking out about it in the room. All the scientists God are like, do you realize exist. what you're saying? And the men in black call Washington to announce that the astronauts are on their way to Midland, uh, which is where Hangar 18 is. But as a precautionary measure, they have cut the brakes of their rental car. And so now the astronauts are driving and they realize their brakes are out and they're being pursued by men in black, but they drive like off the side of the road and crash into like a gas plant, yeah, basically. So, so he's pumping the brakes and he's oh no, the brakes are out. I was like, okay, well then try the emergency brake. He's like, and the emergency is like, okay, well then shut off the engine. Yeah. That is and the it, next step you do. The next you step. shut off the engine. Or you could step on the gas and go much faster <laughs> when you realize the brakes are out. But they build up enough speed to go flying over a bridge off the side of the road and into literally like a gas plant. But they crash into it like pretty harmlessly. Nobody gets really hurt that bad. And I thought those barrels were going to blow up. Yeah. Like I thought there was going to be like a risk, like maybe not kill them, but the barrels were going to like catch fires. Like we got to get out of the car and then, yeah. then have like a big cool explosion or something. No. They just, they just crash. They get out and they're running around this refinement plant, and the men in black are chasing them. I think they fire on them a couple times oh, yeah. at this gas refinement plant. They decide to steal a tanker truck to be safe. Yeah. The best thing to do if you're getting shot at is to hide next to hundreds of thousands of gallons of fuel. <laughs> they won't shoot us now. <laughs> yeah. The gasoline will protect us. Yes. Lou decides to drain the gas to keep it from exploding. I thought he was going to drain more of it. But yeah. he just uh, he pulls the lever to let the gas out on the road. He literally climbs out of the truck while it's driving mm-hmm. to open the valve on the back of the it's, truck. It's like it's like a Mad Max scene where yeah. he's like climbing along the the frame of the truck and he keeps almost falling off the side and catching his grip while he's letting all the gas out. He's also carrying with him a road flare mm-hmm. that he found in the glove compartment. This movie sets up things really well. Like almost too well, where it's really obnoxious. <laughs> like where he finds a road flare and he looks at it, and you just this long camera shot of him pocketing in this road flare. Like, yeah, what are you gonna do with that? I guess that'll come into play later. I already know for sure. This I thought, is gonna work out. You know what I thought was gonna happen? What's that? Because he fumbles around with the fire extinguisher. It's like, oh, it's gonna be a fire extinguisher. He's gonna spray on their windshield. So they're and, not gonna be able to follow. Yeah. And we're gonna kill two more men. No, yeah, no. He does anyway. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like the 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 fire extinguisher would like disable them. Like be like, ah, oh, we can't see. Versus, I'm gonna blow these guys. Here's up what I'll gasoline. <laughs> I've already decided I'm cool with killing men in black. <laughs> I've got a taste for murder. Yeah. I gotta commit more. Yeah. So he pours gas in the road, and the guys are just driving through it because they have to stay in pursuit of this truck. But then uh, he shuts off the valve. Yeah. And then he lights the the flare, and then he throws it into the end of the puddle to light their car on fire. But before he can do all this, they shoot him in the back. Yeah, but also they would have driven past the point at which the gasoline stopped. Yeah, by then they would have. But maybe they're implying that the car is like wrapped in fumes from driving through the puddle for a that while. Could be. But either way, the car is immediately completely engulfed in flames, and two more men in black are killed. Lou also dies. Uh, he basically falls off the back of the truck after he gets shot and is drug all- along the road for a while before he lets go. But he dies in Steve's arms on the side of the road. Steve like looks around at the madness that just happened and he's like, I don't have any choice. I got to get to Hangar 18 now. I can't sit here with this body and get him to the hospital. Like He's dead. He's a lost cause. And I, I can't answer questions about these other two guys. Yeah. So he leaves him with strangers and then steals their car. Yeah. The doctors tell Forbes that the aliens apparently asphyxiated because when the satellite hit their ship, it knocked a dangerous vial onto the floor of their ship. And Forbes is like, huh, how dumb of them, yeah. stupid aliens. Like, do they do they expect for you to do that? I, I doubt it. I, I really I really want the aliens. I really want to, like, reshoot this scene of the aliens in this seat. It's like, Carl, do you have to keep that vial of the sodium sort of like right on the edge of the counter it's fine it just makes me nervous it just makes me nervous okay i'm just putting it out there it's on the record i said something i would love to also see where uh where like the next ship comes down and they're like 
hey, so we sent a couple guys down. They were going to give you like a bunch of technology to help your society work better. Do you know what happened to them? Oh, yeah. Uh, Steve and Luke. (laughs) (laughs) These shitty astronauts we have. (laughs) But yeah, uh, the general speaks with Forbes on the phone. Uh, apparently having only just now learned that Steve and Lou were blamed for the accident. Like, he just doesn't read the newspapers, I guess. Well, and so I, Forbes I, is like, wait, what is it? What is this? How many days have they been on the lamb? But the general says that he has no idea where the story came from. It's like, who did it come from then if the general in the Air Force well, didn't do it? Well, the ge- yeah, I mean, he he he's lying. Yeah, but he's like, I don't have any idea where it came from, but I can assure you that it has nothing to do with the spaceship. And it's like... It literally only has anything to do with the spaceship. What could it possibly have to do with, if not the spaceship? That's what killed the guy. We're um, pretty sure they confessed to the murder. Yeah. It turns out there was no spaceship. So what you've been working on the last couple of days, just forget about it. Look at this light. The chief of staff is still weirdly reticent to kill Stephen Forbes. Another government official finally pitches a plan. And what they're going to do is they're going to crash a plane with a bomb in it into hangar 18 and just destroy all of this yeah. supremely valuable information to to help someone's re-election opportunity yep. i i thought for sure that they were going to crash a passenger plane yeah i thought it was like, that'd be a much I, bigger uh, deal but a bigger yeah. cover-up i i don't know why i thought it was like oh man are they gonna crash a passenger plane because he says planes crash every day it's like what i thought it was going to be like a jet i didn't think it was going to be like one of these tiny little planes that we've been flying the whole time but also, they didn't put anybody in it. Yeah, I, it was, oh, it was piloted remotely, yeah. Which I think is crazy. I mean, it felt not like a piloted remotely thing. It felt like I'm going to put a brick on the uh, accelerator type yeah. of thing, which you don't really want to do with a plane with a bomb in it. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like, oh, it's much windier than we thought. I'm sorry, sir. But uh, the plane landed off course. I was kind of hoping like the guy who was in the plane with the bomb was like, yeah, so we're going to need a body on the plane. So <laughs> they seal them. Yeah. It. But they, that doesn't happen. Yeah. Well, you know, like Bane, like they're, <laughs> someone has to be on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> a video playing in the ship identifies a lot of seemingly important locations. We see power plants, military bases, industrial complexes, and a lower third in alien font is unreadable. I assumed these were all targets that the aliens had their sights set right. on but uh steve gets to the base he's able to avoid arrest for a while they chase him toward the hangar where the ship is because they secretly want him in there when the bomb goes off and they load this extremely large bomb into their kamikaze plane steve jumps out to attack someone pursuing him and finds out that it's forbes and that forbes is still a good guy and he's like come with me to hangar 18 i want to show you the spaceship everything's okay Except Lou is dead. Yeah, Lou's dead. Sorry about that. And he's like, that was the most like uncomfortable, awkward acting scene in the movie where he's just like, well, what are you talking about? Like, they blamed us for that kill. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I know about all that. He's like, and Lou's dead. He's like, yeah, I heard. That's rough, rough, man. I'm real sorry. And he's just like, what the hell is going on? And he's like, well, look, we're going to get to the bottom of this. Also, like, the but Jeremy, check out this spaceship. It's super cool. For some reason, the Darren McGavin character is wearing this really high turtleneck that looks like it's choking him. And somebody goes like, well, I don't know, but we're going to have to get to the bottom of this. Like, he looks so uncomfortable and weird. And the angle that it's shot from, it's like a low angle looking up at both of them as they're arguing. A lot of the angles are real low. It's like they had like standing. Noodles McIntyre was their cameraman for this whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's very weird. I don't know who that is, but that name is so You don't know hilarious. who Noodles McIntyre is? No, but that name just got me. It's uh, it's from UHF. It's Billy Barty was the cameraman for oh, all their okay. news segments. <laughs> so he's shooting up at Fran Drescher at like a 45 degree angle. And she's like, I'm looking everywhere, but I don't see a Noodles McIntyre. And he goes, McIntosh. At your service. Because <laughs> his name's actually Noodles Macintosh. And I said it wrong. So they all head into the spaceship. And what I thought were targets are now identified by the, the linguist as designated landing areas. These are all places that the mothership is going to send vehicles to. It still sounds like targets to me. Yeah. Well, like landing spaces. Like, this is another thing in this movie that never goes anywhere or pays off like every time they do something that i'm like oh this is gonna be interesting this has potential they just it just stops it dies right there right but but i'm i'm fine with that if what's about to happen was going to be the end of the movie yeah i got real mad with the voiceover here oh yes so 
immediately after they translate this and they say, oh, designated landing areas. This is where the aliens are going to come down and try and meet with us. And then the plane hits the hangar and it explodes. Yeah. And the whole thing is destroyed. End movie. Yeah. yeah. Credits. End now, that's movie. such an incredible ending to this movie. Yeah. And someone chickened out yep. higher up and said, you can't end this movie making it look like the mothership is going to send a bunch of ships down and that we destroyed it to avoid like throwing a wrench into an election process. So when the smoke clears, we see that the ship is completely untouched. And then we get an epilogue and voiceover that says, everyone inside the ship survived. Don't worry. They're not dead. Everyone... Everyone there was alive, and they're going to tell the world. The but, election is not mentioned, and it's not relevant yeah. to the rest of the film. But also, the aliens are coming back. Yeah. The the mo- message of this movie should have been, We like, were almost prepared for an alien invasion, and we destroyed the only clue that we had of what was going to happen. Because of an election. Right. And, and that would have been a really impactful story. Yeah. Like, I would have walked away from this movie going, you know what? Everything that happened up to this point that was frustrating was worth that one moment. Yeah. Yeah. But we didn't get it. No, we didn't. We got a voiceover that said, don't worry, everyone's alive. And I guess we're going to repel that alien horde, or maybe they're not evil. We don't know. We know nothing. We don't know anything. All we know is that that girl and the guy who saw the ship land are not important (laughs) to the story. Well, we we didn't really mention the part either about the whole evolution thing. Well, that was what I what I meant when I said, like, there is no God is what they learned from this alien Wikipedia. But, it, yeah, it's basically just like, oh, they, they planted us here and they changed our DNA. No, they, no, they, no, they planted pla- us here and mated with, like... The pre-humans. Yeah, yeah. yeah primates or Neanderthals or something. <laughs> they were fucking so many monkeys. <laughs> well, that's what I imagine we'll do when we find a intelligent life somewhere. We're just like, all right, can we fuck it? <laughs> Our director here was James L. Conway. Uh, he directed. <laughs> we're not. We're not the, we don't have more to say about this movie. No, we're done. Okay. No, <laughs> no, we're good. Let's keep going. Sorry. There's so many strings that just get dropped. Oh, yeah. it drives me crazy. Yeah. I mean, the dead astronaut guy, the human woman in the spaceship, the landing sites, the evolution thing. Like none of those stories, they all had potential, and yeah. none of them go anywhere. I, I feel like this was a much longer movie, even though this movie seemed like it went on forever. <laughs> yeah, it was only an hour and a half. I mean, it's like 96 minutes or something. At, at, when it was done, I was like, there was. There's a lot missing from this movie, right? Yeah. Um, Here's another thing. I think maybe Steve and definitely Lou would never be allowed on a space shuttle. Yeah. Like, they're the wrong shape. (laughs) 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 Like, you have to be, like, peak physical condition to be allowed anywhere near a space shuttle. Right. These guys would not have been, they wouldn't have uh, made the cut, I don't think. They're the wrong stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. How long have you been waiting for that one? (laughs) That was fresh. Um, They're also the least interesting characters in the movie. I liked Lou, but only because he's like every reaction that he had was the exact wrong not reaction that I would (laughs) have. Where he was just like, oh, yeah, they framed us for murder. That makes sense. Well, we got we got a big bucket of proof over here. I think. (laughs) Let me go check and see if there's still any proof in this bucket. Oh, no, it's empty. Okay. Well, I wanted to make some comparisons uh, uh, to uh, the movie Sphere. Okay, not Capricorn One. Not Capricorn One. Okay, Just only because of like there's there's some interesting like side things. I don't think that I'm not saying that Michael Crichton ripped off anything from Hangar 18. I just like I had a lot of Sphere vibes when they were investigating the ship. Yeah, because in Sphere they put together a team of a mathematician, a biologist, and a, an astronomer. Uh, 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 to go. That's how invest- all of Crichton's things go, though. Yeah, yeah. Like that's how that that time travel one went. That's how Jurassic Park goes. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, but they also find dead humanoid in the ship. Oh, okay. And they're trying to investigate how they died. It ends the same way where it's destroyed. But this is before Life Force, though, too. And Life Force Correct. has a similar stuff. Also, very, very similar in Life Force. Uh. So the, and you mentioned the flight of the navigator, which I also feel is, is like a good comparison about when you find a ship and keeping it secret and yeah. moving it to a facility and studying studying it properly. And I think all those movies did it better. <laughs> Even yeah, Life for Force sure. 
did it better. Even Life Force. Even Life Force Life is Wor- incredible. No, yeah, Life Force. That's is that's amazing. definitely Toby Hooper's second best movie. Oh my god, it is so great. I mean, depending on what you think, Poltergeist is. <laughs> I guess it could be his third best movie. We're not talking about inv- we're not talking about Invaders from Mars. No, <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, but I also think that this movie basically wanted to rip off Capricorn One, and they were like, "What if they did Capricorn One, but there were aliens?" Mm. And that's basically all this movie is. It's like you add one extra level to it where it's like it's the same thing where the astronauts are being blamed for like a right. mistake and they're being chased across the country and trying like the government is trying to kill them to keep a secret. Well, cuz they're supposed to be dead. <laughs> right, exactly. But the the that movie is just about they faked the moon landing and these astronauts aren't playing along with it. It's so strange like the aliens feature so heavily on the box art of the art. Yeah. Anything related to the art of this movie is, has the, one of the aliens like in that bug eyed death stare. I feel like the, the only reason that their eyes were open on set is so that they could use pictures of them and not give away that they're dead for the entire movie. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's, <laughs> it's weird. It's and, a weird choice. And also like, this isn't a comparison to sphere, but this is, this is from the movie. I, I have actually not read the book. So yeah. I'm embarrassed to say, uh, but Samuel Jackson brings up a point of, we should probably not go into the spaceship because we assume that these aliens are always going to be human and biologically similar, but they could inhale oxygen and exhale cyanide gas. We have known nothing about their yeah. biology. So then again, cutting them open in this lab where she's completely open face and just like a little bit of a face mask. Yeah. Like is like, no, you need to be like in a full like suit. Even when they went in, in what I would call a full suit, they weren't airtight suits. No. Yeah, they, like they they just went into ra- with radiation suits, which yeah. don't need to be airtight. Yeah, it, they uh, they should have been wearing like a full spacesuit to go into this. Exactly, thing. and when you're doing the autopsy, I know that makes it difficult, but you don't know what kind of germs or infections. Yeah, uh, that these aliens are carrying. It's 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 insane. Yeah, these aliens are filthy. <laughs> they're also dead. Who knows what happens when they die? We don't even know if they're dead. They could be hibernating, and you <laughs> sliced it open. I oh, don't know how these bodies work. Up. What are you doing? <laughs> It speaks fluent English. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I thought you were dead. Why? Did you take my pulse? I didn't know if you had a pulse. I'm a human. <laughs> <laughs> so our director here was James L. Conway. He directed In Search of Noah's Ark and Grizzly Adams episodes for Sun. He also did Earthbound, The Boogans, and a bunch of TV. He directed seven MacGyver episodes. Yeah, he did. Ranging in quality from birthday to hell week. Uh, I would say those. that's his worst and best episode. Okay, hell, I was going to say Hell Week is his best. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Hell Week is the one where they build the machines to lock all the doors in the dorm room. Ryman and Son. And the Ryman kid steals a nuclear son. bomb. It's Professor Ryman and Professor Son. Uh, he also directed episodes of four and a half Star Trek series. The half is Orville. <laughs> He's directed some Orvilles. He also directed eight episodes of The Magicians. Writer Ken Pettis is credited here as Stephen Thornley. He's written for lots of TV series that have been adapted into films in the last 30 years, like Wild Wild West, Mission Impossible, Green Hornet. Uh, The story here was by Thomas C. Chapman, who also wrote The Boogans, another Sun project. Uncredited story credits went to Stephen Lord and David O'Malley. Stephen Lord wrote a lot of old TV stuff, original Outer Limits, Fantasy Island, and Chips. And David O'Malley wrote Fatal Instinct, which is a parody of Basic Instinct and <laughs> Fatal Attraction, directed by Carl Reiner. Uh, the music here was by John Kakavas, who did the Kojak theme. And then into our cast here, Gary Collins was Steve Bancroft. He plays Cy Jordan in Airport, the first Airport movie. Uh, Robert Vaughn was Gordon Kane. He plays Ross Webster in Superman 3. He's Gelt in Battle Beyond the Stars later yeah, this I was year. Yeah, we're having Battle yeah. Beyond the Stars. Uh, and we have him as Colonel Masters in Chud 2. And he also played Dick Lecter in Pootie Tang. Which can is I a, bring up the Magnificent Seven? Sure, he's in there too. James Hampton was Lou Price. He plays the dad in Teen Wolf. He's also the uncle in Teen Wolf 2 because that's a cousin. Bill Gibson in China Syndrome. And he plays Jerry Woolridge in Sling Blade. Pamela Bellwood was Sarah Michaels. She plays Carol in Serial that we covered earlier this year. She plays Lisa in Airport 77. She's also Peggy Ramsey in Two Minute Warning, which if you haven't seen it, is a movie about a guy trying to kill a bunch of people at a football game. Yeah, it's really good. Stephen Keats was Paul Bannister. He plays 
Jack Toby in Death Wish. He plays Chuck Wade in The Last Dinosaur. And he played Robert Mashevsky in Black Sunday, which, if you haven't seen it, is a different movie about guys trying to kill people at a football game. William Schallert played Professor Mills. He was Dr. Greenbush in Inner Space and Wesley Hodges on The Torkelsons, which I used to watch. He, he's a Joe Dante regular. Yeah. He's always worked into to one way or the other. It, bringing up a uh, matinee previously. Yeah. And uh, he plays the doctor in the Mant. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Half man, half ant. Darren McGavin is Harry Forbes. He plays Billy Madison's dad. He's also the dad in A Christmas Story. And he is uncredited as Gus Sands in The Natural. He's so great. The Natural is one of my favorite films. Yeah. For those who you don't know it, it is a movie about baseball, but it's also like grounded in like Greco-Roman myth. Interesting. It, it's so supernatural and and bizarre. It's not saying like you won't you won't say oh like you're not gonna like identify any specific mythology, but it is about mythology. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's so good. We also had Stuart Pink in here as Sam Tate. We just had him as Dudley in The Hollywood Nights, the kid whose costumes keep getting stolen. That's he also plays. Uh, he also movie. plays Jimmy in Fatal Attraction, which is the real movie that was half parodied by Basic Attraction or Fatal, whatever the other movie was called. Honestly, whenever I try to say the Fatal title, Instinct, I always say the parody title when I'm because I don't remember what the other <laughs> movies are called. He also plays Sheriff Parsons in Arachnophobia. We had Bill Zuckert as Ace Landon here. Uh, he plays Mr. Finkel in Ace Ventura. You're another one of them hard copy guys. <laughs> and he's also uh, Mr. Menges in Critters 3, which I believe is the feature film debut of a young Leonardo DiCaprio. Ed E. Carroll plays Men in Black, Officer Number 3. He played the thief in The Thief and the Cobbler. He oh, really? Voice. Yeah. Wait, no. Jonathan Winters did The Thief. Well... He's credited uh, as Thief in Thief and the Cobbler. Uh, I wonder if there might have been another Thief, but because uh, the main guy is Jonathan Winters. They also went through several voice Co- casts. Correct. Sean Connery at one point was in the movie and things like that, so that could have been too. John William Galt plays a NASA official. He plays LBJ in Forrest Gump and JFK, and uh, he's also the warden in Problem Child 1. I also like Galt from a uh, Deus Ex a game, a uh, video game from the year 2000. From the year 2000. Uh, <laughs> but because uh, I was looking up his credits, I was like, oh, he was in Deus Ex? Awesome. Nice. Well, the next time anyone asks you who is John Galt, you can say he played LBJ in Forrest Gump and JFK. And then they'll be confused why you said that. Um, Chess, up or down on this one? Uh, I'm going to – oh, God. I'm, I'm going to give it a down, I think. I'm just happy that it was reluctant. i'm giving it up but i understand completely richard uh i'm giving it a down again just because of that ending i i I just i cannot stress my disappointment in this ending no it was sad um overall it's 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 a messy movie all of darren mcgavin's scenes seem like they were improvised yeah like like he just did not bother to read the script and just tried to say whatever he thought was appropriate at the time you know, there was also too many dudes in this movie. Oh, like, totally. Well, I mean, not only was there just a general lack of women in this movie, but there was way too many characters for this story to support. I yeah. kept getting confused as to who everybody was because they all looked the same. And yeah. I was just like, who are you people? Why do you matter? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was for sure a mess. So, yeah. Uh, what are we doing list wise, guys? Richard, do you know where this goes? I think I'm going to put this just below a small circle of friends. Okay. Which is just above above uh humanoids from the deep. Okay. Wait, above humanoids? Above humanoids. Oh, that's wrong. Oh no. <laughs> you have to fix that. Humanoids is classic. There's literally nothing wrong with humanoids. It's the perfect <laughs> film. That's why it's on the top of my list. <laughs> it's definitely not. Uh Jess, where's this going on your list? Oh god, this is hard. I think I'm gonna put it above holy moses and below herbie goes bananas that's fair i think that's accurate um that's definitely true for me too but there's so many movies between those (laughs) actually there's not there's only four movies between those for me and i'm putting it directly in the middle 
uh, of those two movies. For me, it goes between The Children and Death Ship. So just below The Children and just above Death Ship for me. Is that up pretty high then? It's not super high. The but, Children's pretty low. But I actually was thinking if uh, if there was a shot where they fired at them on the gas refinement place and it hit a pipe that I would recommend this as a double feature with the children. Like <laughs> they shot a pipe at the refinement place and then that caused that the gas leak. to yeah. leak. There. Oh, I, I also forgot what the children was just now. I was like, <laughs> what the hell is the children? I'm I was like, surprised <laughs> that you have the children above death ship. I am too, <laughs> but I do apparently. Um, I think if I had to choose between rewatching one of them though, it would be the children. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. I think that's everything for this one. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Or as I said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can also support the show through Patreon.com slash VintageVideoPodcast. Speaking of Patreon... Because this is our first episode of the month again, I wanted to remind our listeners about our Patreon campaign for anyone who hasn't had time to check it out. We have a couple of tiers. Vintage Video will always be free to listen to, but if it's worth it to you, a donation as small as a buck a month is greatly appreciated. We're into July now. We've been doing the show for six months, and this is our 74th episode. We're averaging about 12 a month, and we expect to cover about 14 a month on average over the course of the year, which means that for the buck a month tier, you're donating seven or eight cents per episode. And we also have a $5 tier for about $0.36 per film, which includes a shout-out on the show, a monthly exclusive episode reviewing a title from the 70s, and a hand in choosing each month's film. We've recorded six so far, and for August, our second tier members are choosing between five titles, House of Dark Shadows, the first feature adaptation of the Dark Shadows television series, Diary of a Mad Housewife, a comedy drama about a frustrated housewife, written by Eleanor Perry and directed by husband Frank Perry, aunt and uncle of singer Katy Perry, Bigfoot, a low-budget sci-fi film about everyone's favorite cryptozoological forest dweller, starring John Carradine and John and Chris Mitchum, brother and son of Robert Mitchum, Tomorrow, with two O's, I guess there's technically four O's in that word, <laughs> Tomorrow, uh, a British musical starring Olivia Newton-John about a student pop band abducted by aliens to entertain them, and Wilbur and the Baby Factory, wherein to avoid being drafted, a young man is given the job of fathering 2,000 children, each of which will celebrate their 50th anniversary, not the children, but each of these, <laughs> each of these films will celebrate their 50th anniversaries this August. <laughs> If this sounds like something you'd be interested in, you can find our campaign at patreon.com slash vintage video podcast. If not, I hope you'll at least continue to do us the honor of listening. Thank you again, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing airplane with an exclamation mark, which IMDb describes like so. A man afraid to fly must ensure that a plane lands safely after the pilots become sick. He's sounds insure the plane. He needs to ensure, ensure. that a plane. We leave you now with the trailer for airplane stand by for the most extraordinary chain of events ever swept up into high adventure hey larry where's the forklift forklift just over there with the baggage loader airplane airplane is drama uh, this is dr brody at the mayo clinic there's a passenger on your Chicago flight 209 or a little girl named Lisa Davis en route to Minneapolis. She's scheduled for a heart transplant. I want you to make sure that she's kept in a reclined position and that a continuous watch is kept on her IV. Airplane is action. Airplane is romance. I love you, Elaine. Airplane is music. There is only one river. There is only one sea. Airplane is dancing. Never has the screen been so big. 
You ever been in a cockpit before? No, sir. I've never been up in a plane before. Peter Graves. You ever seen a grown man naked? Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. My name is Roger Murdoch. I'm an airline pilot. Leslie Nielsen. This woman has to be gotten to a hospital. A hospital? What is it? It's a big building with patients, but that's not important right now. Lloyd Bridges. Johnny, what can you make out of this? This? Why, can make a or a brooch, or a pterodactyl. Robert Stack. All right, Steve, let's face a few facts. And we hope you enjoy the rest of your flight. Julie Haggerty. By the way, is there anyone on board who knows how to fly a plane? Can you fly this plane and land it? Robert Hayes. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. I've got to get out of here. Incredible adventure the screen has ever created. He's coming right at us! The big news is. Airplane.